values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. All eyes of the world are still on Ukraine, and there's a lot of wild cards out there, one of which has to do with China. How far would China go to help the uh, the Russian people, the Russian government? We know that a few weeks ago, the, Ru- the Russian-Chinese um, alliance seemed to be inseparable. The Chinese government saying that Russia was their most strategic partner, and we, the, the world was watching as the Western world, Europe, the U.S., Canada, other nations jumped on board with sanctions against Russia and seizing assets of their oligarchs and trying to really hammer their economy. What exactly was going to happen with the president of the United States and the conversation that was had between him and the president um, uh, with our president and the Chinese president? What was going to happen in that conversation? Because we had said to the Chinese or were ready to say to the Chinese, if the West, if you if you uh, um jump in the middle of this. We are also going to sanction you. And I don't know how far that conversation went. We haven't heard much more. But here's what we know of what the Chinese were saying, what they said in this conversation with President Biden. This is from an ABC report. A long call, nearly two hours. This initial readout from the Chinese saying the Ukraine crisis is something we don't want to see. Relevant events once again show us that state-to-state relations cannot go to the point of confrontation. In the statement, China writing as a permanent member of the UN Security Security Council and the world's two largest economies, we must not only lead the development of China-U.S. relations on the right track, but shoulder our due international responsibilities and make efforts for world peace. Is this possibly going to make the Chinese and U.S. closer in allies than we thought? It sounds as if the Chinese have changed their rhetoric, or at least at least on the face of what they're saying to the world. I have no idea, and I would love to be able to talk to people that have the intelligence on this. How much has China really been helping Russia? How much will they help them? There have been reports that Russia is within a couple of weeks of running out of ammunition. Now, we don't, I don't know that to be true either. Those are just some of the reports. Putin had a rally in Russia, and some of the pictures that have been released are showing huge crowds of people as he talks about the unity of the Russian people. Um, I played a couple of times today, so I'm not going to go back to it, but Arnold Schwarzenegger um, released a, did a video about nine and a half minutes long on Instagram and was trying to reach the Russian people in as many platforms as he possibly could, getting around the Russian media to tell the Russian people, you are being lied to, that this was not the Ukrainians that started this war. It, Russians are not fighting Nazis in Ukraine. As a matter of fact, the Ukrainian president is, is a Jew, and his uh, I think his two of his relatives, his father and, and someone else, were maybe grandfather, were killed by the Nazis. So the, the idea that this is these are Nazis that are leading Ukraine and that's who they're fighting is absurd. Soldiers have been lied to about this. And this is all from Arnold Schwarzenegger's video to the Russian people. Here's something interesting. The Russian foreign minister uh, said early this morning that any cargo transporting weapons to Ukraine will be considered legitimate targets for Russian troops as it pushes forward with its invasion. So now we have we have we have just committed to in the last couple of days supplying the Ukrainian people, the Ukrainian fighters with about eight hundred million dollars worth of supplies, including 
anti-aircraft equipment, anti-armor uh, or anti-tank equipment. These are shoulder-held missiles that take out armored vehicles. And if you've not seen the videos, they're easy to find online of the decimation of some of the Russian vehicles that have happened because of the effectiveness of these armaments. We are sending machine guns and shotguns, 20 million rounds of ammunition, grenade launchers. We are sending a lot of supplies. How far does the U.S. government go, even if it's not U.S. troops that are transporting it? If our transportation of those weapons are interrupted and those convoys or those those um, transports are attacked by the Russians, will that be an act of war against us? I, and I don't know the answer to that. I don't know what our president or what our leaders would say to that. And... Um, Leadership does matter, and we we all understand that. We are watching leadership like I, I have not seen in a very long time with the courage of the Ukrainian president. If you look at some of the things that he said, and I've had people ask me uh, and, and ask rhetorically in places and make comments about the Ukrainian government. I'll be honest. I don't know. I don't know how corrupt they are. I don't know if they're corrupt. I don't know any of those things. What I know is that Russia invaded them. They are asking for help. They asked to be um, admitted into the EU. Um, they have been going to the Western world and asking for help, saying that we want to be a Western type of nation. We want to join the EU and be an EU nation. Um, those They are saying all of the right things. Now, I don't know what their government like is at its core, but I know that this president has stayed in the capital city in the midst of immense fighting and a huge threat on his life, and he walks the streets and he fights with his people. He addresses the world in a t-shirt. I mean, this guy is as regular a human being as can be. He was a stand-up comedian and an actor. And he has rallied his people to come back to Ukraine. There have been hundreds of thousands of people that have, from around the world, of Ukrainian descent, Ukrainians in other parts of the world, that have returned home for the fight. The Polish people and the people of Moldova have welcomed refugees. Uh, the, the mayor of Warsaw has said, we'll take in as many people as we have to. And there have been over 300,000 that have gone into Warsaw, Poland. Um, President Zelensky has said, listen, I'm right here and gave his location. I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not afraid of anyone. And then in what was such a twist in um, propaganda slash gamesmanship, he made statements to Russian soldiers and telling Russian soldiers, we know you don't want to die. We know you don't want to fight. If you surrender, we'll treat you like human beings are supposed to be treated. I mean, this guy is done amazing things in, uh, in the eyes of the world. And he is going to become an international hero uh, if things continue on this road. And his life is still in great danger. The, Russians, uh, the Russian military has that city surrounded. Now, this is a city that under normal circumstances has a population about the size of Chicago. I mean, this is a major European city that is surrounded by Russian artillery. And they are looking to take over that city. And one of the things that we know, there have been hit squads that have gone after President Zelensky. The latest news is that Vladimir Putin is saying he wants a face to face with Zelensky. And Zelensky is saying, I have that's something he says he's doesn't have a problem with. Will we see these two leaders sitting down? I think it's a lot more likely that that will happen 
if Putin knows he does not have the ace in the hole of Chinese assistance, if the Chinese are not going to be sending ammunition, if they're not going to be sending military equipment, if they're not going to be backing up their financial play and keeping their economy afloat, and he knows he's kind of on his own in this, if that is the truth, there is a lot more likelihood that you're going to see negotiation with Putin to save face and try to get out of this with something. And we'll see. I'm anxious to see how it all plays out. But that's kind of the update of where we are. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. All right, wrapping up a busy news week, getting you caught up on the headlines. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. Yeah, Mike, you spoke to the chairwoman of Governor Ducey's uh, summer camp this morning. It's uh, also former state school chief, Lisa Graham-Keegan. She talked about what is included in this program. Math, civics, literacy, plus adventure. So those are the parameters. The curriculum itself is totally up to the schools. So two-part question here, Mike. Are there any subjects, in your opinion, missing from this? And do you think each school should decide how they're going to teach it? Or should there be a one-size-fits-all curriculum? No, I like the idea that it can be a diverse, um, uh, you know, they can choose their own curriculum because if you have schools or these camps that are specializing in a parent that knows that they have a child that is lacking in one area over another, let's say it's someone that needs help with reading or math or civics, I think that's a great way to approach it is let the schools specialize in what they believe they're best at. So I think that's terrific, but limiting them to make sure that this isn't going to be a summer camp that's all fun and no knowledge that the point of these summer camps is trying to catch these kids up. Now we understand, I understand, this is is not going to fix a problem that was created with over two years of COVID and the times of being out of the classroom and virtual learning and everything else. But will this give them the opportunity to focus on certain areas where they're lacking and give them a big jump starting catching up? I think it will. And I think it's a great idea. Dr. Fauci is warning Omicron Part 2 might lead to a spike here in the U.S. in the next few weeks and isn't ruling out a return to mitigation efforts. If, in fact, we do see a turnaround and a resurgence, we have to be able to pivot and go back to any degree of mitigation that is commensurate with what the situation is. So we can't just say we're done. Now we're going to move on. We've got to be able to be flexible. How many of our listeners just threw their middle finger up at Fauci? Uh, after every single that? one of them in unison with both hands while they're driving. They're steering with their knees and doing it. America has moved on, and it's unfortunate to say that. We are going to treat this like we, uh, many people thought we should have from a long time ago. We have seen, especially with this new variant, and then the second one after it was like Omicron and Omicron 2 or whatever it is. It is more contagious, but it is less lethal, and it's proving that to be across the board. That doesn't mean that people that have comorbidities or have higher risks shouldn't protect themselves, But like everything else, if you're at higher risk of anything, you should protect yourself. So let's start looking at those mitigation strategies. Let's start with obesity. Let's take a look at what that risk factor does in much younger people and start talking to people about a healthier lifestyle. It doesn't only make you look better and feel better. It actually keeps you healthier. And we should be focusing on that. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to get you caught up. 
Yeah, and the latest move to try and cripple Russia's economy, the U.S. House voted to end normal trade relations with Russia and Belarus. On this vote, the yeas are 424, the nays are 8, two-thirds being in the affirmative. The rules are suspended. The bill is passed. Well, Arizona Congressman Andy Biggs was one of the eight who opposed that bill. Why do you think he did that, and will it come back to haunt him down the road? Well, well again, on its face, there's no reason in the world why Andy Biggs would vote against But Andy Biggs was also talking about some of the things that were in it that gave away a lot of power to the president of the United States to choose uh, some of the things that they don't think that should be given to the power to the White House. So I I think on its face, of course, it's going to be used in any political campaign against Congressman Biggs. I have no reason just to outright defend the congressman. um, But there's no reason in the world that he would stop. If you listen to anything he's ever said about Russia, uh, suspending trade relations makes perfect sense. But what we can't do is have language that's so broad it can be misinterpreted and misused. And that's what he was voting against. And uh, speaking of Russia-Ukraine, Louisiana Republican Senator John Kennedy went on Fox News last night and declared... I think it's clear that the leader of the free world is President Zelensky. Uh, He and the Ukrainian people are tough as a boot. Is Zelensky really the world's most powerful leader, or is that yeah. a little hyperbole? Right I think there? it's it's well, it is a little hyper hyperbole. But I will tell you this: everyone in the Western world is going to want to be connected to President Zelensky. That there isn't going to be a world leader, including our president, that when all this is said and done, is not want not going to want to stand next to President Zelensky. This guy has showed amazing courage, not just in word but in deed. How many leaders do we have in our country of either political party that you believe would do exactly what he did? Which is not only say I'm not leaving when given an opportunity. He could have loaded up an airplane with a bunch of cash and and made sure his people were taken care of from afar. He said, I don't want to ride. I want ammunition. The fight's here. That's a guy that we all want to follow into battle. So, yeah, I think he is the example of freedom around the world. Whether or not he's the most powerful leader, he is definitely the example of what we want in a leader. And it's pretty interesting to see how a guy that's pretty much, and I, again, I just love the guy because he does everything in a t-shirt. I mean, he's addressing the entire Kinda world. Kind of like you. Yes, exactly right. The Canadian Parliament, um, he addressed the United States Congress. He addresses the world on a weekly basis in a t-shirt. I'm thinking, this is cool. Do you own any other shirt besides a t-shirt? Of course Mike? I own other shirts. I don't shirts. think I've I, ever seen you. You haven't. One, except for the picture on the website. Yeah, right, exactly. You haven't. I own suits. I own a tuxedo that I wear some times, but I only wear them when I absolutely have to. And unless I'm going to court, which I hope never happens to me, I don't want to wear a suit. I wear a, I mean, radio for a reason. Well, my face and the way I dress, that's that's why I'm in radio. So um, I jeans and a T-shirt. You're lucky I'm not wearing pajamas. You know, I, I worked with people in the past that have walked around the radio station. You can tell the difference between our radio salespeople and oh, yeah. on-air people. Oh, yeah. Because professionals versus the unprofessionals. It, it, because when they interact with each other, it looks like somebody in sales is handing somebody that's on <laughs> broadcast a couple of bucks in a cup yeah. because we dress and we don't shave. It's horrible. We're on radio. It's horrible, but wonderful. I don't have to look like John Hook. I don't have to put on a suit. I I come to work in jeans and a T-shirt, and sometimes I got stains on my shirt. It's just had to deal with it. It's the radio. Theater of the mind. 
Um, anyway, we are, uh, we'll do this again, pick it up on Monday. We do it every day on the show at 1120. In a moment, we're going to talk inflation. Gas prices are going up. What is the cause? Is there more that can be done by our government? And it's not just about pumping more oil. We'll talk about a specific law that might change things. Next. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with us. Gas prices continue to be very, very high here in Arizona and across the country. Um, and we are looking at record prices, or at least we were for a while, and they seem to have leveled off, which is a great thing, but they still remain extremely high. Other inflation indicators out there when it comes to the food we eat, the necessities that we have to buy, those continue to remain very, very high, strapping families. Arizona has outpaced the rest of the nation in inflation, and we've done that. A lot of it has to do with our housing market that we are and it, it's a blessing and a curse it's that double-edged sword right it's the fact that here we have um so many people coming here because it's a great place to live and it's doing great things for our economy but how <clears throat> the housing shortage where if you're renting it, it it's in, extremely competitive and it's a nightmare for people trying to find a place to rent and uh, if you're trying to purchase a home f- seeing yourself priced out of the market You know, and the way, hopefully, the way it is supposed to work in this country is you're just starting out and you know there's going to be some sacrifice and you make those sacrifices and you save money for a down payment and you keep your credit scores good and you make those initial sacrifices to jump into the American dream and purchase a home. And what's happened is if you've purchased a home in the last few years, you are sitting in a really good place because home values have increased dramatically. Mine has increased. I'm very thankful I bought my house when I did. Um... But for a lot of people, it's pricing them out of the market. And that's one of my biggest concerns is the discouragement that comes in those situations, whether it's I'm getting priced out of the market where I'm trying to buy a home or I'm getting priced out of where I'm living right now. You know, I'm, I've been renting a place and the rent is going to be getting so high, I'm going to have to move across town to find a place affordable. But what are the other indicators when it comes to fuel prices and the prices of goods and services? There was something, is something called the Jones Act. And uh, here in Arizona, just just so you know, when it comes to gasoline taxes and the and the suspension of the gasoline tax, in total, we have a 19 cent tax, but uh, we have um, 19 cent tax on gasoline. And that, I think, is the third lowest in the country. Number one is Pennsylvania. Number two is California. But the highest gas prices being in California, first of all, they have a they have different blends of gasoline because of their stiff um, environmental restrictions. So that drives up the price even more. They're also on something called a fuel island in California, meaning they don't have um, pipelines that bring gasoline to them or bring fuel to them. It's shipped in or it's trucked in, which adds to the cost. So this uh, this Jones Act that happened back all the way back in 1920 and what it was designed to do is it was designed to help protect the shipping industry, whether it's buying ships or it is, um, you know, um, flagged U.S. ships. So the rule is in the Jones Act that if you are to ship cargo via the seas, 
from one port in America to another American port. It has to be on an American flagged ship with an American crew, and the ship has to have been made in America, too. Well, we don't have that many ships. We certainly don't have that many ships that can ship oil, and I don't think we have any that can ship um, liquid natural gas, LNG. So it is cheaper for companies to bring oil in from other nations than it is to ship domestically. That's just the oil part of it. Um, so again, whether or not it's a good idea, it seems it may be a knee-jerk reaction, but go back to 2018. I talked about this earlier. The Cato Institute did a study um, in 2018. So this was long before this crisis and people that want to call it a knee-jerk reaction. And in this study, they talked about how much more goods and services cost us because it's cheaper to import them sometimes. And what also has been exposed by COVID and the supply chain issues and now with all of this upper and the sanctions against Russia is how dependent we've become on foreign goods. Yes, it is about taxation, without a doubt, and manufacturing costs. But when it is cheaper to ship something on a boat from another country and bring it here than it is to do it internally because of these shipping issues, what do we do about the Jones Act? Is the United States shipping industries that critical to our economy anymore? And if you look at the number of ships that we've manufactured and we do manufacture, it doesn't seem like it does. With the ability of being able to have other, you know, hire other nations or hire other ships to be able to do some of these things. If a ship could be flagged from a different nation and ship goods from one port to another, wouldn't that ease our economy? And there are many people that say yes, that, you know, it would alleviate some of the um, of the stress on the trucking industry. Because we know now that if it's not going port to port on a ship, it's being distributed by a truck. And we know that we have a huge trucker shortage in this country. So doing a little bit of homework on some of these things give people a little bit more solution. I don't believe for a moment that this administration at, at all, I don't think they are going to flex unless things get dramatically worse. I don't see them flexing from their current economic plans as it pertains to climate change. We understand that's what rules things with them. Climate change is the number one issue. It's why we've seen gas prices go up over the last year plus. Their assault on the fossil fuel industry, not just on the industry itself. They've gone after financial institutions that are doing business with them. As a matter of fact, it's happening in Canada right now. There were a bunch of celebrities that signed a letter criticizing the bank, the Royal Bank of Canada or whatever it is, the, this large group, because they keep financing pipelines and, and the fuel industry. And they're calling they're calling for, you know, environmental boycotts and they want these things to stop. They say no more dirty banks. Same thing is happening in the U.S., the financing of exploration, the financing of all of these other things. And when you assault an industry like that, it has an adverse effect. And that's what's happening right now. The American people are paying a heavy price. Yes, part of it is supply chain. Yes, part of it is Russia. There's no doubt. I'm being as fair as I can. But there is absolutely no doubt that it was started by the adversarial policies that this administration has toward the fossil fuel industry. Period. End of story. There cannot be an argument. They keep saying in the administration, they keep repeating over and over again that it's either the oil companies are overcharging or it's the Putin hike. All of these things continue to be said, but they're not backed up by facts.
You know, you have people involved in the administration or in previous administrations that are saying, you know, this is this just is not right. David Axelrod, who was uh, an advisor to President Obama, said, a matter of fact, you can hear it. This is David Axelrod and what he said about the idea that blaming Putin is accurate. Why not uh, You know, just be blunt with people? But then now they've overcorrected. And so for a few days, he was saying everything is Putin's price hikes. Inflation is Putin's fault. People don't believe that either. They know that we had inflation before this. They know that gas prices were high before this. So they haven't dialed this in quite right yet. You can't blame everything in the economy on Putin And that's somebody that was in the Obama administration. So that's where the American people are right now. Um, Survey on gas prices. You look at what small businesses are saying. They are being crushed and they're holding this this, um, administration accountable. Before we close out our week, we had a very good conversation this morning with Lisa Graham Keegan. She was the secretary. uh, I'm sorry, sorry, secretary, superintendent of public instruction here in the state of Arizona for a long time and is seen nationally as an education expert. She's an author and has done great things in education. She is heading up the Arizona On Track Summer Camps, that program of the governors to help catch kids up over the summer. We're going to let you hear a little bit of what she had to say about these summer camps. And if you are a business, you know, a community center, if you are um, a program that wants to host one of these camps, we're going to tell you a little bit about that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Um, A while ago, Governor announced a plan to have summer camps called AZ on Track Summer Camps, which is going to help get kids back on track after we've seen test scores diminish incredibly high. I know a very high amount of kids that are reading below grade level. We've seen test scores diminish a great deal. And especially in the areas of reading and math. And it is something that has been a struggle for Arizona for a long time. We are not seeing children reading a grade level. Third grade is the key grade. This is obviously not me. I'm not an educator, but I'm learning from educators. Third grade is the key age that up until third grade, you learn to read. After third grade, you read to learn. And that all makes sense when you look back. I was just I spent some time recently um, at Read Across America reading to kids. I read to a third grade class. I read to a fourth grade class. The difference in level of the books that I read was they both were Dr. Seuss books, completely different um messages and levels of reading in both classrooms and not equipping kids at third grade to be prepared to learn for the rest of their life is doing them a huge disservice. I've gone on and on about this because I was I was someone that I, I'm a case study in this. I had a very good education at a very young age. I learned to read very young. I loved to read when I was young. I was very good in school, in elementary and middle school. When I got to high school, I went off the rails. I, I don't know how else to put it. And... um I didn't want to go to school. I didn't like school. I wasn't interested in school. I was interested in working. And, you know, I didn't get my future much thought. I gave my immediate future. I live for today. I live for Friday when I got paid. And when I got older and I found my path at about 18 years old and my path was going to be in the electrical trade, I was so thankful that I had the skill set to learn. 
that I had the ability to learn that trade. It's what served me as my entire adult life. I lived my entire adult life from 18 years old past that, never being unemployed. Knock on wood, good economic times, a lot of good fortune and a lot of good bosses. But how many people can say that, especially someone that was so weak in education as I was? And so that trade served me so well, but so did my ability to learn it. So Lisa Graham Keegan joined me. She was the superintendent of public schools for quite a long time here in Arizona. She also is an author, and she also served time in the state legislature. She is the chair of AZ on Track summer camps. And we talked about the curriculum and what they're going to entail. And and this is just a short clip of what she said. Math, civics, literacy, plus adventure. So those are the parameters. The curriculum itself is totally up to the schools. So what is happening right now is for the rest of this month, they are looking for organizations, whether you're a public school or a charter school or other programs that offer things for kids. Now, there are requirements and they'll tell you what they are. But if you would like to offer these camps to kids, you can sign up now. Um, AZOnTrack.com. And they gave me another web address, but then I went to it and it's just AZOnTrack.gov. I'm sorry, .com. If you go to that website, you are you can sign up and be one of the organizations that offer these camps. Make sure you qualify. They'll help you get qualified, and then off you're going to go. At the end of this month and going into April, they're going to open it up to parents that want to get their children enrolled, and it's going to start showing you where these different camps are and what they offer. And it's going to be pretty remarkable. So if you have a child that is lacking in one area particularly, I imagine you can find a camp that focuses on that. And it's almost like a tutor. They're going to be paying teachers about 20% more. They're encouraging these organizations, teachers making about 20% more than they would, you know, I guess per hour as they would in their normal salary. And because teachers are giving up their vacation time as well, there has been a great response from organizations that want to offer the camps and a great response from teachers that want to teach at these camps. And it's going to take a community effort because, and, and not, nobody believes, and I don't even think that Miss, Mrs. Keegan believes that the solution is going to be just in this one summer camp. But what they can do is they're going to assess a student at the beginning. They're going to assess that student at the end, and they're going to get prepared with a report. So when that child goes back into the classroom in the fall, they can hit the ground running with a teacher that has an idea of where this child is academically. That focuses much more on academics. And I will tell you that in Arizona, we argue about the money we spend in schools. Do I think more money would be advantageous? Yeah, I agree. Money, More money would be advantageous. But we all know, I don't care what business you're in, just throwing money at a problem doesn't help. How does the money get to the classroom? How do we have accountability to make sure that teachers are doing the best job that they can? How are we rewarding the teachers that deserve to be rewarded with much more pay and security and other teachers need to be you know need to be taught a little bit differently need to be helped along and some teachers just don't need to be in the profession when do we start having that kind of accountability as well all of those things together are going to make our schools even better just about out of time you can hear the music playing which means i'm going to tell you about social media at broomhead k-t-a-r is my twitter handle if you hear or see a response there that's me Uh, at broomhead show just update you on what's happening on the program throughout the week and mike broomhead all one word on instagram is where you can catch me this weekend be sharing some cool pics have a great weekend everyone back on monday god bless